Thank goodness it is Friday, and for many of us, maybe the last work day of 2023. It is for Lloyd. Uh, he's already on his Christmas Yesterday vacation. was his last work day. Yeah, so he's uh, he's not here today. Uh, Jamie is here, and, um, you know, it, blessedly, we don't have really, it's not really, really cold. Unless you are referencing the Detroit Pistons inside the walls of LCA. Yikes. That. I mean, my goodness. I, they started out pretty good. I was watching with my husband in the beginning. They were hitting shots, and we were both like, okay, they're going to win this game. Didn't happen, though. The Jazz were without eight players due to injury and four of their top six scorers. If the they're s- not going to do it against that team, who are they going to do it against? The stars were in alignment. The they, Pistons lost 119-111. It's their, uh, they've extended the historic losing streak to 25, in case you're counting. That's one short of the NBA's all-time season single record of 26. Yeah. So and here I guess, we are. Is it true? I didn't hear it, and I was I was awash in a grandchild last night and having much more fun with that. Of um, course. But there were chants of sell the team yes. in, in the walls of LCA. Yes. Oh, that's harsh. A lot uh, of Pistons fans believe that this should go to the record, so there's more pressure on you know management to do something. But two and twenty six. I mean, yes. I, I mean, in the you know, what were we saying that Tom Izzo has won more games inside of Little the Caesars same, Arena? The, the same, same number this of season. games. Yes, because the Pistons. the Pistons won one at home and one on the road, and the Spartans yes. won one at LCA. And last night, you know, Matt Stafford could have done the Lions his old team a favor by tanking against the Saints, but uh, he was a stud last night, and he's got this new receiver Nakua who uh, may be uh, a, a Rookie of the Year candidate. Yeah, you know when Nakua wasn't good? When I needed him last week and during <laughs> fantasy. So yeah. there's a lot of issues I but have with this. they were a tough tandem last night, and so we'll have to wait a little longer. But that's fine. That's kind of what Dan Campbell wanted anyway. you got to earn it. Yeah, but you know what could happen is a rematch sort of with Stafford against the Lions. Wouldn't that be something? I don't want that to happen because that will be the story for a week, and we'll have to talk about it. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we, we, we're not getting any help from anybody else, but that's fine. That's this is fine. a team that's always needed to help itself anyway, and, and we've got the, the guys Handle to your do business. That. No question. Uh, some uh, good economic news this morning. First of all, 30-year mortgage rates have dropped to their lowest since June. The average loan was 6.67%, down from just a skosh below 7% last week. Um, so that's trending in the right direction. Uh, we got some good news. We had Kathy Brock on yesterday, mm-hmm. who's one of the leading realtors in the state, if not number one. And uh, she said, you know, they're, they're seeing some things loosen up for the home buyers, but we just need more inventory. Right. Yeah, that is the, the problem. There aren't that many houses to choose from. But if as things loosen up, you would think. The economic period between uh, July and uh, the end of September was more robust than we previously thought. GDP grew at a 5.2% rate, uh, stronger than first indicated. Part of that, though, is was government spending. Do we really want to count it when uh, Congress is spending our tax dollars faster than we can give them to Congress? <laughs> is that no. some, is that, isn't that kind of like... It's always funny to think about it in your own terms, and your own budget. Like, that just would never happen. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, I, I don't think that should count towards growth. That's, that's You're gaming the system there, especially since you're robbing my ability to privately fund our economy right. uh, by taking whatever meager wealth I have left. Um, 
Joe Biden gallop with a final poll for 2023 uh, with a job approval rating of 39 percent. No president in history has undergone reelection with lower approval numbers and higher disapproval numbers than Joe Biden. That's he he hit the mark. Yeah. I mean, uh, there are some that are drawing parallels to George H.W. Bush. No. Uh, he had a rotten, he he had a recession on his hands and it was a minor one mm-hmm. true but even his numbers at that point were not as low as joe biden's are now he continues to sell the bidenomics message in spite of that it's uh, there's no velcro to that message and it it isn't sticking and uh we're going to be talking with jason Rowe in a few minutes jason's got some really interesting insights into this He's he's gotten wind of what is uh, it would be like the Democratic wise men going to the White House to tell Biden it's time to leave. We'll see. He he claims we'll and we'll hear more about that from yeah. Jason coming up at at six nineteen. Um, and uh, I think you're going to find it an interesting uh, conversation. Also, as it relates to keeping money in our pocket, um, the uh, Court of Claims yesterday, Judge Elizabeth Gleisher who just never fails to disappoint me time and time again, ruled that the the income tax cut that we got in 2023 here in the state of Michigan was indeed temporary. In spite of every Republican legislator who was there when they passed the automatic tax cut, with the, the whole idea is when inflation gets to a certain level, you cut people's taxes so that the, the what you're, you're not taking more of, of their wealth just based solely on the fact that somebody else couldn't control their pocketbook. Everybody that we've talked with from the Republican side, the Mackinac Center waged this war. They're going to appeal it. But they said, no, it was temporary. But every lawmaker that was there at the creation of it said, no, we intended for it to be permanent. Why would we want to give taxpayers just a 12-month break? Right. And uh, so we'll see if that can be reversed. But in the meantime, you know, uh, Governor Whitmer's going to take a victory lap about cutting taxes. And, about and the, the checks. And the checks are on their way, and that's true in 2024. Uh, but the problem with that is, you know, whether it's CNBC or other independent folks that have increased uh, Michigan standing as a good place to do business, a lot of those j- judgment in there was based on this income tax cut. Right. Which goes away next year. So are we going to fall back, and will we fall even lower when you add in the end of right to work, the reemergence of prevailing wage, and a lot of other labor-friendly stuff? We'll Certainly businesses look at the income tax for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, did you see the latest from Israel and Gaza? And that's just a staggering number. guy. Yeah, we're going to get a big vote from the U.N. today on Gaza aid. And mm-hmm. uh, they still want to cease fire there. But they've crafted a resolution that, I guess, sets that aside so that we can get aid to these. And this. the U.S. says they can support it. Yeah. Eighty five percent of that region displaced from their homes. 20,000 people have been killed in Gaza. That number is staggering. It is. It is. And and people, they keep making it like it is a scoreboard. Well, Israel only lost 1,400 people. Um, I don't see equivalency there. Um, and and you're, you're right. It is a horrifying number. Um, they don't have hospitals. There's only not one, no. nine are partially in use. Yeah, but not one fully functional hospital no. in, in Gaza. Oh, and perhaps one reason why, this comes to us uh, from the National Review, a really underreported story. A guy named Kalut, who was uh, the director of a hospital in Gaza, 
admits that he's a Hamas commander. I did see that story. Not only was he sheltering 16 um, fighters in on his payroll in the hospital. Some of them are like nurses and nurses EMS. And, yeah. Who are, you know, are, are killers on the weekend uh, and, and terrorists. Uh, but his name is Ahmed Kahalut. He was a senior Hamas member since 2010. This is by his own admission. He and he made this. Yeah, he admission. was interrogated, right? Yeah, this was an admission that he made on tape, and he certainly doesn't appear to be under duress. Um, so, and and there's question. There's a new poll coming out of Gaza. It's a substantial one, three thousand sample. So better than a lot of the political polls that we quote here on a re- regular basis. Um, one in five Gazans now is finally blaming Hamas. Or the misery that has been brought upon them. But the vast majority still blame Israel largely. And that's somewhat, and in some cases, Jamie, because of the news sources. Many of them don't know of the atrocities that happened yeah. on October 7th. I was going to mention that, that they hadn't seen any videos. They don't really know what happened on October 7th. Yeah, and it's we're seeing that with um, the TikTok videos that our college students in this country are consuming. They are, are you know, unrepentantly, not just pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas. Yeah. Did you see nightly yesterday, just briefly, um, someone who lost family members in Gaza was saying, you're you're going to sort of breed a lot of hate toward mm-hmm. Israel since all of these innocent people are dying. Yeah. And, you're, it, and here's the crazy thing. You say you're eradicating Hamas, yet many of its leaders are in other Middle East states right now living high on the hog. You haven't taken them out. And by the way, the funding mechanism, this giant trust that they had, this private equity trust, um, you knew that was there. Why didn't you bust that up? That was what was funding this machine. I don't know. My heart breaks for the children. Yeah, I'm looking for good guys, and it's kind of hard sometimes to find them other than the victims uh, of of October 7th. Uh, 6.15 on News Talk 760. We'll get to the latest on politics, what's happening in Colorado, and more with one of our political wise men, Jason Rowe, next on JR Morning. Trump facing four indictments, uh, Biden facing historically low approval numbers, all of it making for a very interesting political scenario as we enter 2024. Yesterday at our WJR morning holiday party, we talked with Jason Rowe, who is uh, principal of Rowe Strategic. He's also former executive director of the Michigan Republican Party about the political landscape. Yeah, all our, our good friends and, and get a chance to reconnect with uh, people. And one of our favorites uh, joining us, Jason Rowe, who has been kind of our political godfather through these very interesting times. Jason, Merry Christmas and good morning. Well, good morning, everybody. I can't believe you made me shower at this hour and there's not mimosas <laughs> waiting for me when but I get there's here. There's mulled wine. I've yes. just discovered mulled wine. And I yet your, 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 uh, your salt and pepper hair is perfect this morning, so... Uh, We'll assume you've the done this. The headset might times. mess it up. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, oh, my goodness. My question for Jason is this. Every day we're in more unprecedented, unchartered waters. Like, how do you keep up? Uh, drinking mimosas in the morning. In bold wine. You know, I was teasing uh, Craig Mauger via text a few weeks ago, you know, with the Detroit News, because he covers this stuff, I think, as much as anybody in the mainstream media. And in spite of what some Republicans think, I think he's a pretty fair journalist. But I told him he's one of the luckiest son of a guns in journalism in America 
uh, covering the Michigan Republican Party because if you don't have anything to write about today, just give it uh -huh. one day and there will be something insane. Uh, Michigan is, I think, in a lot of ways and has been, um, going back a few years now, the center of the political universe. It is a political wasteland for Republicans. It is kind of ground zero for the impact of Trump on American politics, and it'll be interesting to see if we can chart our way out of it. Well, we're watching this with Nikki Haley right now, and I, I heard somebody yesterday that said something I thought was fascinating. They said, you know, she is vintage 2010-2014. That's when she was elected governor of South Carolina. Totally different Republican Party then compared mm. to now. I was talking to a gentleman that I think under um, more conventional times would be running for high office here in the state of Michigan just this morning. And he says, well, I have to find out which Republican Party is going to come forward a year or two from now. Because I was asking him about his future. Where do you think that happens? By the way, on the 27th, I mean, Christina Caramo may find out her future with the Republican Party as chair. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I don't think the state of the organization, the Michigan Republican Party, matters as much as the political environment. Uh, I think, you know, I've worked in a lot of states in my life that have dysfunctional state parties. Um, you, you get around that by having really good candidates and raising a lot of money. Um, candidate quality matters, and last election we didn't have candidate quality. I think Tudor Dixon was a fine retail politician, but she was inexperienced, she didn't know how to raise money, and she got walloped. Matthew DiPerno, you know, a bit kooky, not electable. Christina Caramo, same thing. And, you know, you look at the top of the ticket, Gretchen Whitmer won by 11 percentage points. There's no mystery how we lost the House, we lost the Senate, we lost, you know, all around the state. When the top of the ticket is that much of a drag on your party, it is hard to overcome that. Regardless of what anyone thinks of Donald Trump, I think he's positioned to win Michigan. And at worst case scenario, he loses by one or two points. That's going to be good for Republican candidates down ballot because it's going to be a lot closer. And Republican candidates mm -hmm. tend to overperform Donald Trump in their races. So in Michigan, uh, do the candidates that are running have to spend more time in that fundraising realm as opposed to the state helping them because they really don't have the, the state GOP behind them? Yeah, the, the party isn't really a fundraising operation. Um, you know, their job really is to help recruit good candidates and then fund operations like get out the vote, door knocking, a lot of yep. the grassroots infrastructural stuff that it doesn't even matter who the candidate is. They are there to support the party and go out and do a lot of the grassroots stuff. But if you can't stuff, get money to do that, I mean, that, that's, you know. That's a big impact. Now, you have the National Republican Congressional Committee that will bring money in for the congressional races. You have the National Republican Senatorial Committee that will come in on the Senate race. You've got the Republican State Leadership Committee, which will help on the state house races that are up this. And then you'll have the RNC that'll come in and help the presidential. So you've got DC-based groups, but okay. only the Michigan Republican Party can get all of those groups and the 85 different Republican organizations in the state at the same table to coordinate and communicate. And then you also have that communications infrastructure. The state party can reach every party leader in this state and in the country and get everyone working on the same page. You can't replicate that with a new organization yeah. that stands up and have the credibility or history and, and uh, infrastructure. You mentioned the National Republican Senatorial Committee. Supposedly behind the scenes on a national level, they are working hand in glove now with the Trump campaign to try to keep Trump from letting happen what happened in 22. Trying to steer him to finding candidates that are sufficiently MAGA but not crazy, that are that have electability, not a John Gibbs. 
for instance, not a Tudor Dixon who was so extreme on abortion that it was disqualifying. How do you think that's going to work? My question kind of mirrors his. How do you reach the younger voter? There still may be conservative young people, but they may not be all the way MAGA. Yeah. Uh, well, Joe Biden's helping with that uh, in a lot of ways, and, and I'll come back to that. Listen, I think Steve Daines, who is the senator from Montana right. and the chairman of the senatorial committee, I think he probably struck a deal with the Trump campaign, like let's work together, not against each other. Uh, you know, when you think back to 22, there were four states uh, – Arizona, New Hampshire, Georgia, uh, I forget the fourth, in, in which Republicans should have won. And Donald Trump Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania mm -hmm. effectively chose the nominee, and we lost all of them. And, you know, he probably doesn't want that. I do think he's been much more disciplined. I attribute that to the leadership of the campaign, Chris LaCivita and Susie Wiles, who are, are in charge. So I think they're being much more strategic about how they approach these races. He hasn't issued a lot of endorsements. Um, so I do think there's a, a better situation there where he might not meddle in the primaries and, and the best candidates can perform on their own. When, you know, go to the youth vote. You know, conventional wisdom is younger generation is decidedly anti-Republican right now, but there was a poll that came out a couple weeks ago about Michigan from Epic MRA, which I consider a left of center uh, polling operation that showed like, uh, the younger 18 to 34, like overwhelmingly supporting Trump versus Biden, which just doesn't compute, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that they love Donald Trump. It's that Biden has been such a disappointment, mostly on progressive issues where they don't think he's doing enough. But the reality is if you're a young person and about to start your career and you look at housing affordability, when you look at gas prices, grocery prices, opportunities, right. It's you could get cynical, and I think that's a big part of these younger voters looking out on the horizon and thinking my future might be a little screwed up with Joe Biden as president. Yeah, the New York Times is saying that the soft youth vote was because of Hamas. They're nuts. It's also because of the economy. I've got to ask you before you leave, and we're going to steal a minute here from the break. Um, in 1968, LBJ saw the handwriting on the wall. He'd lost the youth vote. He was eroding everywhere. He said, look, in the best interest of the party, I'm stepping aside. Why hasn't Joe Biden done that? I was talking to an insider yesterday who I sometimes don't believe what he tells me because it seems too fantastical. This might be. He tells me that this week the Clintons, the Obamas, Axelrod, Paul Begala, and James Carville are going to go have an intervention that was coordinated by Valerie Biden, the president's sister. Um, yes, day before yesterday, I saw a cry on, on the news. Aides say Biden refuses to confront H. And I thought, wow, if... White House aides are leaking that kind of stuff out there. There's something afoot. That, my friend, tells me this. But what Biden's been doing that's alarming them is he's dropping by offices in the White House to have little chats and mentioning how he feels so much younger than his age. The problem is he's going into the same office more than one oh, time in the day, no. doing the same thing, underscoring that, that maybe yeah. the dementia is a little more advanced. Okay, so is that uh, what you were looking an intervention for? Intervention at That's the White House. That's not what I thought you were going to say. No, <laughs> that is that is fantastical, uh, but extraordinarily interesting. Wow. Jason Rowe, uh, thanks so much.
We're going to get state unemployment uh, numbers released today, and uh, they've been trending down. They've been trending in the right direction, still a little higher than the national average. We we know there's this thing out there called the humis- or misery index, right? It's the sum of what we really feel in our economy, right. unemployment plus inflation. It is ending 2023 at 6.8%. That's the lowest point since the pandemic in March of 2020. And well below the average for the century to date, which is 8.3%. So why why do we feel miserable if our misery index is so good? And it's because we're still smarting. Yeah, well, if you look at the graph on Axios, it goes like up and down, up and down. It's on a downtrend right now. Yeah, and it's uh, but it's it's still below the average, and yet folks just uh, aren't feeling it. We'll we'll find out what Michigan's unemployment is, is as I said a little bit later on. Meantime, you can win the Powerball tomorrow, uh, which is I think the jackpot is now six hundred twenty million dollars. You can win that jackpot. You could hand it to Chris Illich, say, buy us some pitchers, and you still wouldn't be as well off as the Dodgers are. The Dodgers free agent spending this winter more than $1 billion following the 10-year, $700 million contract they gave Shohei Otani. Well, then they just brought in this pitcher, Yamamoto, for 12 years, $325 million dollars and he hasn't even thrown a pitch yet in the ma- in major leagues yeah no he is one of the brightest stars in japan yoshinobu yamamoto um i'm trying to think of anything that this compares to um you know i remember back in the 70s when when gene autry owned the angels and he brought in gritch baylor uh you know nolan ryan he bought him and, and never won <laughs> Well, I think there could be some comparables in soccer. They spend a ton of money in soccer. Yeah. I don't have the history of soccer. I don't really watch that, but there are big numbers over there. Well, Nick, Jason, you guys have historical, you know, and much better memories than mine. I can't think of anything that uh, is the equivalent of this. I think soccer is a good one, but I feel like all the top teams kind of spend the money just like they do in baseball. I mean, the Dodgers... The Mets, the Yankees, the Phillies, the Giants, they were all after this Yamamoto guy, and the Dodgers just found a way to to raise the price a little bit. But, I mean, how do some of these teams in smaller markets compete? Right. You can't. That's the problem yeah, with baseball. Yeah. Even though Tampa somehow put together, cobbled together a pretty doggone good team with a yeah. low payroll, they, but it's just whether or not you can get to that, that level. And, you know, and this guy could get here, throw a couple pitches, blow out his arm, end up getting TJ surgery, and you still, uh, you know, you're on the hook for all that. That money, That's money that's going to be locked up, similar to what we had with, with Miggy. Um, yeah, you you never want these long-term deals because at the end of it, it's not anything. I just, I laugh that the state of California is falling all over itself now to try to figure out a way to get its hands on Otani's income that is being deferred 10 years from now you t- it's like they want to get into the delorean and go back to the future get it and bring that money back <laughs> they're working on it <laughs> you know? but he's only going to be making two million a year for 10 years Gavin newsom is saying somebody find me a flux capacitor because <laughs> we we need that money uh, 96 million dollars he he would save in Cal- uh, california state in there'll be taxes. a lot of lawyering there because he's Still working for a California company, so perhaps they could still capture those tax dollars.
Um, moving a little bit further east, uh, the state of Colorado, as we've been telling you, has knocked Donald Trump off the ballot. We talked a little bit about that with Jason Rowe. The question is this. How do voters feel about it? Uh, not just in Colorado, but nationwide. You're, you, they're messing around with your choice. They're interfering with your election, these unelected judges in the state of Colorado. Uh, YouGov asked uh, a few thousand, 3,400 U.S. adults, uh, do you approve or disapprove of the Colorado Supreme Court uh, taking Trump off the ballot? 54% either strongly or somewhat approve and when you you break it down by politics, it's interesting. Twenty four percent of Republicans agree with it. What, you know, nearly you said one fifty four percent somewhat approve. Fifty four percent strongly or somewhat mm. approve. Thirty eight percent strongly approve, uh, with their choice being limited not by a political process, not by a Democratic uh, primary or anything else, but by um, a, a judicial uh, and uh, it's interesting those that tend to approve it strongly are older voters not interesting only 25 percent of, of younger voters strongly approve of this um who which, are the people asked like where do they live by region um i mean in, there's not a way anything but there's very in, in the south um, there's a little bit more support for, for Trump, but by and large, it's, it's the regional support is the same where, wherever you go, it's about 42, 42%, uh, in, in the Northeast, Midwest and West. Um, so I, I just find that shocking. I mean, at the very heart of this is we get to choose not a couple judges, but that's how strongly they feel about what happened January 6th. Well, yeah. And the argument would be made. We just read Craig Mogger's article about how, Trump was personally involved in, in calls and trying to force people to make certain decisions. So if you believe that's not a good thing to do, then perhaps you agree with what Colorado has done. I've got to dig back into the archives of the Guy Gordon show. We had Monica Palmer and her attorney on. It's my recollection. And she told us that, that she got it from all quarters, including Donald Trump. I believe Ron Romney McDaniel was also on that call. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a crazy time. First, they, they approved it. Then they, they rescinded that approval. Then they approved it again. And that's what stuck in the, the Wayne County Board of Canvassers. And by the way, I mean, it, that vote was scrutinized so much. And, I mean, there were all these Internet memes out there that more people voted than there were registered voters, which is. That's you, allegedly what Trump said on this call, which is not true. It, it, he's, and he continues to say that. He hasn't deviated from that. And yet you can go, you can actually look at what we sent to the National Archives as our vote. And it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 54% of the registered voters voted in that election in Detroit. Um, and it's there in black and white. And yet it shows you how disconnected people are uh, because of what they want to believe mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. who they're listening well, to. Well, the Detroit News listened to this phone recording and they confirmed that that was Trump talking to them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, 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 there was little question about that and saying, you know, you, you will be judged by this. And, um, you know, and the fact that the that the National Party chair was on the call, uh, you know, that's that raised a whole nother level of pressure. By the way, um, a big ruling coming down uh, here in Michigan saying that at least 13 legislative districts, most of them in Wayne County and Detroit, um we're biased. We're racially biased that this redistricting commission that we put into place because we wanted to get politics out of the 
redistricting process led to an even more biased result against by race than the old way of having the party in power doing it. I actually got a letter in the mail asking me to be on this and saying you could get paid $20,000 and everything else, and that just wasn't something I wanted to get into. You know, it, it was we, we talked to people that were on that commission, and they said, you know, if you look at what Republicans did, Republicans guaranteed black representation because they would pack their districts with black voters. They call it cracking and packing. And, and, and to try to get a better result for them in terms of maintaining a majority. But it guaranteed majority-minority districts. But that's biased yeah. as well. So this process was, well, and, and so now, not only that, we've got a vacancy on the redistricting commission. they got to come back very quickly and fix this uh, before the next legislative election in 2024. And, uh, and they've got a vacancy because two of these guys moved away and didn't tell anybody. One <laughs> moved to California, one moved to Illinois, and they kind of took their sweet time telling them, oh, yeah, I'm now registered to vote somewhere else. But we're going to tell Michigan where they can put their boundaries. No, I don't think so. Yeah, that uh, didn't fly. Uh, by the way, interesting uh, article in the, in the uh, National Review. We know that Harvard had its uh, big uh, investigation into its president's alleged mm-hmm. plagiarism. And they contacted everybody and they looked deeply into it and pronounced her, you know, we're making changes to her attributions in her dissertation. They didn't talk with two dozen of the scholars whose work was in her dissertation and not cited. They didn't talk to them. The injured parties were not interviewed. That doesn't seem like a thorough investigation. No, no, it was, it was a whitewash and, um, and it very interesting. And these, uh, some of these folks are now speaking out saying um, she still hasn't cited my work. She quotes it word for word. And, uh, and, they're pretty angry about the fact that Harvard just basically said, we don't care. Right. If you don't even talk, talk to, to those people. Yeah. They, they, you didn't even talk to the aggrieved party. Uh, when we come back, great holiday entertainment coming your way right after the first of the year. Uh, we'll fill you in on what Crystal is and why it is so unique when it arrives at Little Caesars Arena the first week of January. That's next on JR Morning. There is a wonderful tradition of figure skating in the city of Detroit. Of course, at the Detroit Skating Club, the programs in Canton, in Novi. We have an Olympic champion, of course, Tara Lipinski, and many national medalists. Uh, Figure skating is huge here. And if you love it and you want to see it in a sort of a different way, Cirque du Soleil is coming, returning to the ice for six performances at Little Caesars Arena. And this is so exciting for me. We have a figure skater on our air. It's Michael Helgren. Didn't live here, Michael, but your parents are from this area. This is a second home to you? That is correct. Yes, it is. Perfect. Well, I have a background in figure skating, so it's really exciting for me to talk to you. I certainly didn't get to this level. But But you competed. I competed. I went to University of Delaware and did some things there. So this is fun for me. So tell me how you marriage the traditional form of skating with Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, so um, actually it's a really unique experience. Um, You know, growing up as a figure skater, we never, ever thought we would be a part of Cirque du Soleil until they created Crystal which is the very first show on ice. So it's kind of a, um, a really um, fortunate uh, case for us. Basically, they've combined the world of acrobatics and the world of figure skating and, can, and sort of um, meshed them together and created our show. So are there spins? Are there jumps? Are there people going into the rafters? 
<laughs> There's absolutely everything. Um, we have uh, high-level acrobatics happening above the ice um, simultaneously. We have skating moves happening below the ice. So it's kind of um, your eye kind of doesn't know really where to go, but it's, <laughs> there's a lot going on and it's uh, a very high, high paced show. So it's pretty exciting. Well, and for those of us familiar with um, skateboarding, I mean, you kind of create in one of your scenes, a skate park on ice, which is with cr- ramps and stuff. Ramps and we watch the trailers. It's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it is very crazy. Um, we call these, skaters, extreme skaters, because this act is absolutely extreme. <laughs> it is not something I'm a part of, but um, it's something I get to watch every day. And even though I'm on the ice with these guys, it blows my mind watching them every single day. Every trick that they do, I mean, it's it's death-defying, if you will. Um, but yeah, it's pretty remarkable. As artistic coach, what does that mean for you? What did you bring to the table? And do you perform as well? Yes. Correct. So um, my job is to maintain the quality um, of the show on the figure skating side. So making sure that all the numbers look clean and the skaters know the counts that they're supposed to be on so that everyone looks together. Um, I'm also alongside the skaters um, uh, jumping and spinning and I do pairs in the show. So lifting my partner. um, So yeah, I'm part of the creation, a part of the team and a part of the quality. When we see someone perform like that, and, and maybe they will spend seven minutes on the ice for their their big moment, how much time are you, are they spending, you know, when you get off the bus in a new city? That How many hours are they spending on the ice before we see them to stay in, in performance shape? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, all of us do come to the show as professionals. Uh, so we are basically honing the tricks that we're performing in the show, not necessarily learning new ones. So we all come, you know, everybody's able to do your triples already and we're all able to do your high-level lifts. Um, but we do get to each city and we have uh, not much time, not as much time as you would think, maybe 30 minutes to 45 minutes to kind of get used to the ice each city because the ice does change the feeling of the ice, the texture of the ice, sometimes the size. Um, so we have to share the ice with the acrobatics, uh, the acrobats as well. So we get to skate in the morning, and then the acrobats have all of their practices throughout the day, um, putting their apparatuses on the ice and flying over the ice. So we have to share the space. So it's, it's not as much as you would think, but we do so many shows that it keeps us in shape and it keeps us comfortable um, throughout the touring year. Uh, Michael, I a lot of my friends toured with Disney on Ice. Um, who are the skaters in this show? People, you know, professionals who've done other tours as well? Yes, that's correct. Um, and we're from all over the world. It's a very um, international cast. So we have some Olympians on the show. Uh, we have national competitors. Uh, so it's a very collective um, group of, of very, very high-level professional skaters. I we, love this. I can't wait to take my daughter to something. She's a little too small yet, Michael, but it's for all ages, you say. Oh, yeah, all ages. Um, you know, everybody truly connects to the story of Crystal. Um, you know, she, the story is about uh, this girl who falls through the ice and she kind of falls into a dream, into an alternate world, and she meets her reflection. And her reflection uh, shows her that, you know, you can create any kind of life you want. She gives her a pen 
and she's able to draw. And so she draws, um, you know, everything that comes to life. She draws a juggler, and we have a juggler in the show who comes to life. And she draws a hand balancer, and she just has fun with it. And it's a really nice experience because it just kind of shows you that you don't have to limit yourself in this world, and you don't have to be the norm. You can be whoever you want, and it's kind of it's a really nice nice story. Well, I, I, we know that Cirque du Soleil, what characterizes it, is it, it is on the edge of bizarre. I mean, it's very, uh, it's a very different look with exotic costumes and things. And you do that in this show as well. You've circed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, but what's a little bit different about our show and why Crystal is so special is that we do have a concrete storyline. And it's not typical for a Cirque du Soleil show mm. to have a storyline like that. Um, you know, you can follow Crystal's journey. And that's, I think, what people get emotionally attached to. And it's it's a really nice experience. And alongside watching, you know, all these acrobats with their crazy flips and yeah. flying through the air and the skaters doing triples. And it's just something that's very relatable um, and very pleasing to watch. Michael, welcome to town. The date's Thursday, January 4th through Sunday, January 7th. You can find tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com forward slash crystal have fun in 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 detroit we should get uh, our unemployment numbers uh, a little bit more data about where we are the economy to end the year that uh, for michigan unemployment that will come today uh, we're also getting good news about 30-year fixed mortgages they are down to 6.67 percent they're upwards of seven uh, percent just a couple months ago so that's trending in the right direction we just need houses to be able to buy yeah heading in the right <laughs> direction and possibly next spring could be the time yeah and and builders are beginning to build again and and that's a good thing so hopefully the the, the housing market will be freed up a little bit meantime uh we're going to be learning more about this high-rise hotel that's planned for right next door to huntington place for years you know people have scratched their heads we're, we're like the only convention center in america that doesn't have an attached hotel right so it's like conference boom down the stairs in the Sterling Group here in Detroit, uh, led by Gary Torgo and uh, members of his family, a, a, a private equity group investing millions there. Uh, we learned about this. The Detroit News learned about it and others through some applications they had to file for uh, the community benefits process. Uh, but it's exciting. It, it comes uh, along with uh, a high-rise apartment tower that's already built there that I think they're already Near taking leases on. Old Joe Lewis. Right on the, the footprint of Old Joe Lewis. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, beautiful riverfront views from this hotel. It's which, all glass. If you've been on the highways, the lodge or something, you could see yes. it. Yeah, it's beautiful. So, um, you know, I wish it was going to be built in time for the NFL draft, but it certainly allows the folks at the Metro Detroit Visitors Bureau to compete more effectively for those big Conferences Con- and such. Conventions and conferences that somehow have eluded us because we don't have centralized. We've got a lot of great boutique hotels now from Shinola and elsewhere. Certainly the book is still a wonderful place. But those where you can book big blocks of right. rooms. Also the NCAA. I mean, Final Four. Yeah. Yes, that, exactly. That, that helps our hand there. Uh, speaking of, you know, we're we're still ge- geared for the Rose Bowl. Speaking of the Final Four, the college football yeah. playoff. By the way, can can you buy Michigan Rose Bowl gear yet? Is are there any good it, question? Are I there any hats out there with roses on them? I, I would assume. Asking, with a Spartan in my house, we haven't done this search, I, but 
ahead. <laughs> Nor will you be. I can look it up right now for you, but well, I'm yeah, sure you can. There's a man in a red suit at my house that wants to get some of that gear out there. I'll look into it for you, guy. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, why isn't that available? Yet? I assume it's all college football playoff like memorabilia instead of Rose Bowl. Specific. You might have to go to the Rose Bowl to get the. I still have I I'm okay. This is a bad confession. I still have my Rose Bowl shirt from nineteen, my T-shirt from nineteen ninety seven. And you wear it? Uh, yeah, when I work out sometimes. <laughs> I also have I I'd wear the sweatshirt, but it doesn't fit anymore. But I mean, yeah. Okay. You hang well, on to those things. Those I are think great it's, memories. I'm happy for your T-shirt, but we have to talk about the current team. Yes. This is a big game. Because we need a new T-shirt. <laughs> yes, you need a new T-shirt, guy. Michigan taking on Alabama in the Rose Bowl, January first. Wolverine slight favorites, one and a half the last time we checked. As you know, everyone knows, the Wolverines are 0-2 in the college football playoff. J.J. McCarthy will have to have a big game. Use those legs. He told reporters how preparation this time around is different. Um, I think that, you know, the last couple of years, I felt like we fell victim to paralysis by overanalysis and, you know, just kind of getting over detailed with too many things and, you know, overthinking things. And I feel like this, you know, couple, first couple of weeks, we really just, you know, took things kind of light, easing into things. And, you know, it's been kind of fresh every single day. So, yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest difference of keeping it balanced. I love that phrase, paralysis by overanalysis. I think a, lot a lot can be talked about I, using I, those terms I, 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 I there's some business leaders out there nodding their heads right <laughs> exactly um yeah so they they're keeping it light uh jesse minter spoke this week and he talked about getting his guys ready to defend against jalen milrow this quarterback is really good he's also got some legs he's just one of four quarterbacks with at least 12 rushing touchdowns this season he has the same number of 100 yard games as Blake Corum. So this guy uses his legs as well. Minter says the Wolverines, though flip favorites, are sort of taking that underdog mentality. You feel like we're the underdog. This is the Alabama Invitational. Okay, they played in eight out of the ten playoffs. They've won a bunch of them. Uh, the SEC's won, I think, four or five in a row. Um, so, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's bring on the best and let's play them and let's see, uh, see where we're at. I like that. I like that mentality. You got to win or play the best to win and get a national championship. So you might as well go through Alabama. And it, yeah. And it's still Alabama. I mean, that's just a program that has haunted teams for, for a decade. Well, it haunted Georgia. Georgia hadn't lost. Then all of a sudden, so they can surprise for sure. But the Wolverines, I was talking to Doug Bernstein yesterday and he was like, please, can we win this game? Please. Can we move on to the big game? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, there's nervousness out there. He's he was he's, a little nervous. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is not the draw that anybody wanted. But you know what? It's going to be a great game. huge game. So yeah. exciting really at ex- the Rose Bowl. Yeah, uh, we've we've my my daughter and her husband are going out. He is a died in the wool Wolverine fan, and I'm so excited for them. It's going to be yes, great times. Rudy Giuliani, not such good times for him. He filed for bankruptcy, Chapter 11, yesterday in the Southern District of New York. He says he's got between $1 and $10 billion in the kitty, but he's got $152 million in financial liabilities. And that's not even counting some of the other stuff that's out there. The other shoes that could drop could get his liabilities as high as a half billion dollars. Uh, among the creditors, Hunter Biden and the uh, Dominion election systems people. Well, if I, he's already counting those as lost, and, and they're still pending in court. Uh, but 
Just, you said billion, I think, when you were talking, but it's one in ten million that he has. He one doesn't. To, oh, did I say billion? Yeah, he does not have the money for even one of these lawsuits. No, essentially, he's uh, he's confessing to being broke. But now we should point out, in terms of Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss, the two women that he uh, has admitted to defaming, and that gets lost in a lot of this. He admitted that what he said about them were lies, but he says it is protected speech. Uh, well, the court disagreed, and that verdict will be knocked down. It's not going to be $146 no. million. And, and, uh, but it's interesting. It, looking back, when he was flying high, uh, he and this is we knew this from his divorce from his third wife. He was spending $230,000 a month, had six homes, 11 country club memberships. And he went from being the humble mayor of New York to really flying high with his consulting firm, and he had one of the you know, one of the most sought-after law firms in Manhattan. And uh, one of the things is he will have to disclose who owes him money. And the question is, did you work for Trump for free? Mm. Uh, Because there's a lot of reporting out there that he hasn't been paid. Now, Mr. Trump's had fundraisers for him. Right. But are there outstanding bills? And let me tell you, these people, these creditors, they're going to go after him saying, who owes you money? Because they need to pay up. And it could be uncomfortable for some of his, his friends. Yeah. The high point might have been the 11 country clubs and all that money. The low point was the press conference at Four Seasons Total Landscaping. <laughs> That's right. It wasn't exactly the, <laughs> oh, the wrong Four Seasons. Yeah. Oh, my. Uh, time for WJR Business Beat. Let's check in with Jeff Sloan from Startup Nation to uh, get the latest on the entrepreneurial startup and tech community here in Metro Detroit. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Guy. Tis the season, of course, and a big part of getting in the holiday spirit is getting that Christmas tree purchased and all set up in our homes. And now new research from the Real Christmas Tree Board provides insights into American consumer Christmas tree buying patterns. Here are some of the highlights. First, just like everything else in life these days, we're going to be paying more for our trees this year versus last year, regardless of whether or not it's real or fake. Newsweek reports that the average price of a Christmas tree this year is up about 10%, with most people spending between $80 and $100 to make that purchase. And the National Retail Federation reports that Americans will spend roughly $225 this year on seasonal decor, including our trees, lights and candles, and related decorations. When it comes to buying real or fake, the Real Christmas Tree Board research also shows that more people will buy a real tree for the first time this year. Thanks to a growing number of Gen Z and millennial shoppers settling in to new holiday traditions of their own. Of Gen Z buyers, 26% are real tree newbies compared to 25% of millennials and 13% of Gen Xers. Interestingly, 85% of those who bought a real tree last year will buy a real tree this year as well. And when we do buy our trees, 14% of us buy them pre-Thanksgiving. The overachievers there, 33% buy during the Thanksgiving weekend, and another 33% of us buy during the week following Thanksgiving. About 1% of us, interestingly, wait until the last minute very intentionally because they make buying a Christmas tree on Christmas Eve part of their Christmas Eve festivities. So many of us enjoy having a tree, of course, during the holidays. And just remember... It's a win-win in that so many tree-growing entrepreneurs, distributors, and those doing the selling depend on this important consumer spend during this time of year. 
I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com, and that's today's business beat and the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. Well, certainly all of us uh, on this day before the day before the day before <laughs> Christmas are still rushing around. You hit the mall yesterday. I'm surprised you didn't run into Gail. I did. I got everything done. I want to tell you, I Googled, you can get Rose Bowl gear. You can? Go to the Google guy. Okay. Shh. We won't tell them. Okay. Well, we hang on to that page. Okay. Um, we know that, you know, in the frenzy to get the fun stuff, you see all these things, especially the pop-up ads online. You jump into something, you don't often think, is this safe for the child that I'm buying it for? And this was really brought into clear focus by a Consumer Reports investigation. Michael's was selling these things called water beads, and they could be incredibly harmful. They expand to several times their size. We know what kids do with beads, whether it goes into the mouth, the nose, the ear, right? Uh, they can be incredibly dangerous. Well, thanks to Consumer Reports reporting, uh, we now have some safeguards in place. William Wallace is Associate Director for Safety Policy for Consumer Reports. Uh, happy to tell you I'm a happy subscriber. William, good morning. Good morning, and that's great to hear. This was just explained to folks. The, the water bead lady uh, was the, the company that was doing this. And and just failed to recognize the safety hazards here. Tell me what your your reporting uncovered. Yeah, and so Consumer Reports in September published an investigative story into water beads, and and we decided to start looking into this because parents like Ashley Haugen, who who founded that water bead lady, uh, a a nonprofit organization to raise awareness about this issue. You know, her daughter had suffered terribly after. Uh, ingesting water beads and and other parents had as well with at least one child sadly dying because uh, because of swallowing water beads and so we looked into the the issues uh, we we looked into all these incidents that were happening according to the Consumer Product Safety Commission 7,800 children have gone to the ER uh, in recent years because of uh, water beads or, or in incidents somehow related to water beads. And in our reporting, Consumer Reports found that the essentially these, these toys are just a nightmare for parents. They can cause intestinal obstruction if swallowed, lung damage if inhaled, or hearing loss in put, if they're put in the ear. And so what, what we did is we contacted the parents who've been affected we talked to our own testers and to other experts in the field and we reached the conclusion that these toys are simply too dangerous to be on the market that is a staggering number of children heading to the emergency room Uh, i did some research looking some things up and i'm looking at an x-ray of a child who ingested them and they just expand inside their body if they eat them or, or all of the ways you told told us it, it, it's really terrible, and what doctors have told us, including you know some of the top experts in the field, is that often X-rays don't even tell you what's really going on. They um, often water beads can be mistaken for other objects, and yet they pose such a unique hazard because they expand to so many times their size. You know, I mean, I'm a parent of a 15-month-old baby, and 
he puts everything in his mouth. Yes, everything. same, 15 months. And 15 months. And so he's very curious. He puts everything in his mouth. And so at this point, at this point, you know, it, it's just, um, if he puts many things in his mouth, it's going to pass right through, you know, like the pediatrician would tell you just, you know, you're going to be scared, but, but wait it out. It'll be okay. It, for these, that's not the case. They can expand to many times their size. They even can be toxic um, from, from some of the chemicals inside. And so we're, we're urging parents, it's just not worth the risk. And we urge everybody to throw away water beads uh, if they have them in the home along with children. When you think about this, you got to ask yourself, who the heck thought this was a good idea in the first place? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when you, I know. you are they still being sold? So unfortunately, they are still being sold by some outlets. What what we were very glad to see is that just this month, Amazon, Walmart, Target, Michaels, Etsy, Alibaba, and some other uh, uh, companies said that they would stop the sale of water beads in response to the parents and our investigation and 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 some letters we wrote them. And so that's that's great news. But they're still in the process of getting them all out of their out of their system, um, getting all the water beads off their websites and, and out of their stores. And then there are other stores that haven't taken action yet. So we we urge everybody be really careful. And if it says water beads, don't buy it. Can I ask you one question about Christmas presents? I mean the boxes say three and under, three and over. Should you still use your eye test and say this is going to work for us or not? Absolutely. It's critically important for every parent to take into account their own child and what they know about their behavior and err on the side of caution because too often uh, those age recommendations aren't protective enough. In fact, you know, I, and one of the one of the horrible things about water beads is that often parents have bought them for an older child that they think has the, you know, that the older child has the self-control not to swallow them. But then, you know, there are 10,000 or 20,000 of these in a package and they go everywhere. They get stuck in a carpet and they get lost and, and, and a younger child finds them later. And, and that's just one of the one of the many dangers here. You cited 7,800 emergency room visits as a result of these water beads going back three years. Um, thank goodness for consumer reports and other consumer advocates that, that take up the cause here. But why did it take three years? We have the Consumer Product Safety Commission. You know, we cover the automotive industry a lot here in Detroit. NHTSA, if you get a dozen complaints about something, they initiate an investigation and, and take pretty swift action. Why did it take so long to raise a red flag? It, it would seem that we could have saved thousands of children uh, from injury. You know, I... It's a very good question, and I think that in in this particular case, um, my understanding I don't think that, I don't think we quite knew the scale of what was going on until until more recently, until um, the last year or two. I think that um, Ashley Haugen, the parent who I mentioned, has done an incredible amount of work to meet with government officials, to meet with um, the media and others to make sure that they're aware of the dangers of water beads. I mean, I think you just go to her, go to her TikTok page, and you'll see how how popular she's become. Um, really, this wasn't on people's radar uh, until until she put it there. I, yeah, I had to Google. I didn't know what water beads are, so possibly others feel that same way and could see a toy on the shelf or online and say, "This seems good." Right. And and ultimately, the other thing here is that 
it's I mean, you mentioned NHTSA and, and, and NHTSA being able to act after after several complaints. The unfortunate thing is that um, sometimes those investigations do drag out, at, whether it's at NHTSA or the or the Consumer Product Safety Commission. And, um, you know, we're, we're pushing for them to have the power they need to protect people. And right now, they we think our, our opinion is that they, especially at the Consumer Product Safety Commission, they simply have to jump through too many hoops. In fact, often they cannot uh, force a recall effectively if, if the company doesn't agree to it. And that's, um, that's, very, that's very challenging. You know, they, have to, they would have to go through a bunch of steps and take them to court, and that's just, right. that's just you know, that's, that's not fast enough. Well, thanks for being an activist and a watchdog, William Wallace, and uh, we thank our friends at Consumer Reports for alerting us to this danger. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and, and hats off to Amazon and other retailers that have now taken these uh, water beads off the market. Uh, we were talking earlier, great opportunity if uh, coming up January 4th through the 7th at Little Caesars Arena, Cirque du Soleil coming with its new show, Crystal. It's Cirque du Soleil on ice. We heard from a listener in Windsor that has seen it who said it's amazing. You can find tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. We'll be back. Well, it's been four years, but we are, well, three and a half years. We're still learning more about what happened in the aftermath of the 2020 election. And that as it was going through the canvassing process and the certification of the vote, uh, whether it was at the state level, whether it was at the county level, whether it was uh, Speaker Chatfield and uh, Majority Leader Mike Shirky, who came under intense pressure, called to the White House by Donald Trump, uh, and they had to tell him, sir, we can't do it without breaking the law. There were incredible efforts underway to stonewall the certification of the vote. This brought uh, into our uh, bright lights by Chad Livengood, Craig Mauger, and the politics team at the Detroit News. Chad joins us live, the columnist and politics editor for the Detroit News. Chad, good morning. Good morning, Guy. This focused on... Two uh, canvas members, members of the, the, the Wayne County Board of Canvassers who were Republicans, and uh, one has passed away, but the others involved are not disputing this story, correct? What went on? That's right. So on, on November 17th, 2020, the Wayne County Board of Canvassers, that the, the, the uh, uh, bipartisan board that certifies the election results, met for to to do that uh and and it wasn't even close uh joe biden's victory in wayne county was uh was a you know a, a typical democratic blowout uh and they go to meet and and monica palmer and 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 the now late william hartman uh the two republicans on the on the uh board they first initially voiced opposition to uh this then there was a break. They went outside of the Wayne County Elections Building over on East Jefferson and got into a vehicle. And inside the vehicle, there was a phone call put on speaker over those car speakers. And um, on the other end of the line was President Donald Trump and Ronna Romney McDaniel, the Republican National Committee uh, chairwoman and also a resident of Wayne County, Northville. Um, and in that phone call, which was recorded by someone inside the, the car who let us listen to the recording that was made on that day, uh, Trump can be heard saying uh, that, that, that telling Palmer and Hartman they would look terrible if they signed the documents certifying the election. 
uh, Trump was quoted as saying, we've got to fight for our country. We can't let these people take our country away from us. And McDaniel uh, then pipes in and says, if you go home tonight, do not sign it, it being the uh, the certification elections, quote, we will get you attorneys. And then and Trump added, we'll take care of that. Um, this is significant in that it's the first time that, well, first Palmer and Hartman said at the time they got a, they got calls from Trump. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, so that. They, they, this was, this was known at the time. It also came out in the January, in the January 6th committee's investigation that there were phone calls between Ronna McDaniel and Monica Palmer, and and those were recorded. And those phone calls um, match. One of those phone calls in particular matches this the, the timestamp on the audio of this recording. That's, that's one of the ways that we were able to authenticate this recording was it matches the timestamp uh, and it matches the the the, the phone records uh, that were obtained from the phone company. Um, by 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 the congressional committee uh, in the investigation of the January 6th uh, riot, and so th- this in, in the events that led up to uh, the January 6th riot, which this is one of the this is one of the cornerstone events. The questions about the election in Detroit and the certification of the election in Wayne County and Michigan um, were were a huge piece of this. Um, there was an effort to try to basically get that get the Wayne County results thrown out. Uh, which then would have probably made Trump the winner of Michigan, but but uh, being the largest Democratic right. county in the state. So uh, that's why this is a pretty significant uh, development and revelation here. Chad, did you listen to the recordings? I mean, this puts Trump, he himself, asking for changes to be made. Reporter Craig Monger uh, listened to the recordings multiple times, um, and and this is based on his sourcing um, and uh, and as the article explains, there was an intermediary uh, source who linked us with this individual. We granted them anonymity because these individuals uh, are truly fearful of their of their safety, uh, given the magnitude of, of the story here. Let's let's take apart and kind of deconstruct this this call, though. He didn't threaten them with retribution. There was no threat of retaliation. He. He said, you're just going to look bad, that your reputation within the party will suffer, which is kind of stating the obvious. So, I mean, in in talking to Monica Palmer or to those that knew Bill Hartman, did they feel that they were going to be the victims of retribution? Because it it doesn't appear that Trump stated that in the phone call. It was just, hey, we need time to confirm some of these concerns that we have. So hold off on certifying. Yeah, um, well. Palmer acknowledged that that uh, they took the call uh, essentially out of courtesy, but they um, uh, they repeatedly said that, that or Palmer repeatedly said that she didn't remember what was stated on the call uh, when when we talked to her uh, about this, but she doesn't dispute this is this was the content of the of the phone call. The question I also is here is offering up attorneys, uh, the offer of attorneys by Ron uh, McDaniel. And by uh, by the president himself, whether that constitutes uh, there's, there's some lawyers have questioned uh, uh, whether that constitutes um, a, a, a crime of a, a bribery crime that if you do this we will we will we will we will take care of you essentially, and uh, and you're you're they're asking them to you know not do their not follow the law as as it's prescribed in in right. certifying 
I mean, this this is a Which body. Which is pro that forma. Is, it's it's supposed to be a pro, pro forma exercise, right? Um, so it is. When it gets the, so point, the allegation is it was coercive. Yes, yes. That, that's the that's the that's the question about whether it is a coercive act by the by the president himself and by the head of a Republican Party. And this is the first time uh, that Ronna McDaniel is kind of like. I mean, we know some of the of the tactics of Donald Trump, they were on his Twitter feed uh, throughout November uh, and 20 and December of 2020 uh, uh, until Twitter, you know, banned him. Um, and, and, and what, and, and right after the uh, January 6th uh, attempted uh, insurrection. So th- th- there was no, no doubt there was a pressure campaign on, on folks. We, we have known that there was other, um, it's been reported in other states, other other election officials got got these kind of calls. Right. This is this is the first time that there that there is evidence of a recording of the phone call and what was said. And Trump made the statement that there were more votes than people. That's inaccurate. That is inaccurate. Yes. That, that, that's I mean, that's repeatedly... the easiest thing to check in the world. And yet people still believe it. <laughs> yes. Uh, and 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 when your vote margin statewide is one hundred and fifty four thousand. Um, and they're quibbling about uh, a couple dozen um, precincts that are unbalanced, where the votes don't, totals don't match the, uh, on the on the records. Uh, I mean, unbalanced precincts is is a problem in Detroit. It's also been known to be a problem in rural areas of the state as well. It, it, it is just um, there are cl- clerical errors that happen, um, and they do get corrected. And there and there was an audit, <laughs> a, a routine right. audit of, of Wayne County election results. Not the uh, it's not the um, uh, Arizona Maricopa County type audit right. that uh, folks wanted, it, but it, there was a routine audit. And, and thank God we have paper again, ballots. Also, but my point of asking you that, yes, it was inaccurate. Was the statement from the campaign spokesperson on the the this call coming out? They're still saying he wanted to investigate a rigged and stolen 2020 presidential election. That's a quote in this article. Yeah. That's what they're. That, yes, that's what they're continuing to say is what he wanted to do. That's that's what they're. That's that that's their the defense they're trying to assert is that he was simply trying to um, ensure the vote was was uh, uh, was correct, and and so that was why they were pressured. I mean, here, this was just to be clear. Uh, the Trump campaign yesterday did not deny this. This is what he was right. trying to do. That he was trying to get them to to not certify the election, hold up the entire process. Uh, and potentially derail uh, the certification of the vote in Michigan. Um, and this is just and, like the call in Georgia. These are similar calls. Well, and I wanted to ask you that. Chad, do you know, have, has, has the Fulton County prosecutor or Jack Smith, a special counsel investigating the overturning, uh, attempts to overturn, have they requested these tapes? Because it could go to showing a pattern of behavior. Um I'm not sure where they are, where I don't uh, know all the ins and outs of the uh, of the prosecutor special prosecutors uh, investigation or the uh, Fulton County prosecutor investigation or the attorney general of Michigan who is still investigating what happened in Michigan uh, given um, the role of the of the uh, the 13 false electors uh, who are you know uh, just in the middle of the preliminary uh, exam stage of their of the criminal charges right. they're facing um, again these these events are all tied together. I mean, the, what, what went down in, in Wayne County and Detroit eventually led to uh, the formation of, of the of the uh, um, the, elect, the the Trump electors to claim they were the true electors of Michigan uh, to find sign 
false, uh, falsely uh, falsify essentially a, a certification of the election that went to the National Archives, the U.S. Senate, and tried to get to the vice president, uh, all in an effort to try to get the vice president uh, to, um, uh, to to change the vote outcome uh, in the certification of the election in Congress, which Me- did not happen. Time we should point out, Chad, that you and the Lansing team have been busy. Craig and Beth, uh, you've got reports today on the, the redistricting commission being hit with uh, allegations that it really mugged things up when it came to uh, redistricting in Detroit. Also, uh, two of Lee Chatfield's right-hand people uh, now facing embezzlement charges. Uh, we don't have time to get into all of that. I wish we did, but we'll tell people to read about it in the Detroit News. There's a lot to read in the, on the front page today. Yes, there is. Chad, thank you for your time. Thank you, guys. And have a Merry Christmas uh, when we come back. Michigan getting a notice of allegations from the NCAA, part of the process that could really trip up the program in 2024. Uh, How vulnerable is the university? Well, we know these are great times for the University of Michigan and its football program as they battle for a national championship. We look forward to the Rose Bowl and the showdown with the Crimson Tide. But there is still that cloud out on the horizon, this NCAA investigation. And, Jamie, we're getting some uh, interesting documents being released that show us the the depth of it. Yeah, the notice of allegations from the NCAA sort of came down. The university knows what it's facing now. Uh, Angelique. And Gallus mm-hmm. is here to talk to us about all of that. She will be at the Rose Bowl, actually. But we want to talk to you first about this NOA. Yes, they uh, they received the NOA earlier this week. I finally got it confirmed on Wednesday, Jamie. It took a, you know I, I'd heard they they received it Monday, and it was it's for the the first of two NCA investigations, the one um, relating to the recruiting violations during um, the the COVID um, dead recruiting dead period. So from 2021, actually, um, the second the second NCA investigation is still ongoing. There hasn't even been a draft of a notice of allegations, which is how the NCAA works. They send you a draft of a notice of allegations. Michigan received that in January for the first investigation. And then, you know, you you take this time to work on maybe you get a negotiated resolution. um, You come up with your own plan and you don't go through the whole process, which is now what Michigan is going through. Angelique, they thought they had an agreement for him to be out for four games and then it it dissolved. It did. Yeah. I mean, apparently the committee on infractions rejected it and, and suggesting that they wanted more. And because Jim Harbaugh faces a level one, their, their most severe violation. And, and that's, that's punishable up to six games. So he did serve the three game school imposed um, suspension at the start of the year, as everybody knows. And, and that's sort of like an act of goodwill, essentially saying, look, you know, this is what we've done at least go easy on us going forward, and, and we'll find out. I mean, now the clock is set. Michigan has 90 days to respond. The NCA has 60 days to respond to that. And then, you know, more than likely it goes to a hearing sometime, probably April, May. So, and then there's some resolution on that front. Clarify for us, I mean, the, the, the rallying cry on social media and on talk radio has been, all he did was buy the guy a hamburger. Come on, it couldn't cheeseburger. be. Cheeseburger. Oh, okay. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize. Oh, that changes everything. <laughs> was there special sauce, too? Well, that I can't confirm. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, it's a, it was a benign event. Um, when you look at this uh, NOA, w- what does it say? 
Well, we haven't seen it. It, it should be a public document, but who knows if, if it will ever uh, be released. It, it likely will be. Transparency. Um, what a concept. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's shocking, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I think you know what he is facing is the level one is for misleading, lying to investigators. Right. And um, he said know, there I, was no cheese. <laughs> <laughs> there was no special sauce, I think he said. Um, so, yeah, I mean. It's going to be really interesting to see how – it's very hard. I've talked to a lot of lawyers about this. It's very hard to prove that someone is lying. Now, if they have receipts and text messages, which is you know, what the NCAA does for this second investigation. They, they've got um, – what do they call it? Mirroring the cell phones and tablets of the, of the coaches. So they go through all these things. They have text, me- text messages or whatever information, emails. And that's how they build a case. So it will be interesting at some point when this is revealed, uh, what exactly, how, how they built this case against Jim Harbaugh. Next year is going to be interesting when it comes to this investigation, the sign stealing investigation. But it seems that this team and Jim Harbaugh sort of put that all on the back burner and they're focused on, you know, Milrow and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Exactly. And and I will tell you, Jamie, I mean, I, I've covered this team a long, long time and this program and, and this team in particular has uh, has a different vibe. I mean, they, this this group is singularly focused. And, and I don't know if it's just that they've mastered compartmentalizing. I don't know. But they have been able to withstand everything that's been thrown their way. And, and again, I mean, these are violations that, that their coach is, is fighting. Um, so it doesn't really affect them, but it does. I mean, they didn't have their coach for six games this year on the sideline. They had him during the week, but not for those six games. And, you know, I asked Mike Samer still, their, their senior, their two-time captain yesterday about, you know, he's like, we know who we are. And I said, well, you know, who are you? And, and he said, you know, this is a team that has heard from everybody saying, oh, your schedule's weak. You know, you guys don't play anybody. And and then you've got a coach who's been suspended and, and Sherelle Moore, okay, what he did filling in as acting coach Gray, but whatever, you haven't still haven't proven anything. And this is a group that has really embraced that that whole that everybody's doubting them and, and going into this this champ this college football playoff semifinal against Alabama, it, it feels to them like they aren't the number one seed as they as they are. They feel like it's been flipped, that Alabama, the national narrative is that, you know, Bama a program that's won three titles in this format is the number one seed and then and they're the four and they like that chip on the shoulder approach it, it's working for them so far yeah jesse minter called it the alabama invitational <laughs> yes which is fair i mean you know eight of ten years it's it's alabama and three national titles i mean that that's pretty significant michigan's been there twice and lost both national semifinal games yeah. so you know there's a lot to prove for this program and, and they seem to really embrace this and I, I haven't I haven't seen a team like this that's just very consistent and very supportive of one another and and you know you can say that but then you look at the stats and you know a few years ago Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo combined for 25 sacks there there isn't anybody they've been spread around on this defense and you know it's it's no one seems to mind that they don't have the big numbers and yeah. you know they, they all do seem to be supporting one another Tell me where we're going to be a year from now when we have a 12-team format. When will the playoffs begin, and will they ever end? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's going to be really good. And, you know, it's going to be fun to see games on campuses, you know, those first-round games. And right. you, know, you see every every Tuesday night after the uh, the rankings were released for, by the college football playoff that, 
there were different national reporters showing what the what the playoff would look like and it's kind of fun to see some of these matchups and and to see everybody's always wanted to see these southern schools come up here in november and december right, and play, play in games. the snow right yeah i mean it's gonna be i think it's gonna be fun and and boy if there if ever there was a year that needed 12 game playoff it, it was this year i mean that would have really satisfied a lot of people and and um you know the whole florida state situation might have been not might have been avoided um, but I, th- I think it's going to be really good for college football. And I mean, the landscape has changed completely in the sport. It's, it's different than what it was five years ago. That's for sure. In in, in so many ways. And, and that this is another area. Yeah. Nobody feels more strongly about that statement that this was the, should have been the year than right, the folks then, at Florida mm-hmm, state. Mm-hmm. Angelique, uh, enjoy your time out in Pasadena. We will look for your reporting on it in the Detroit news. Well, thank you, and and to you and your listeners who are celebrating, have a wonderful Christmas. Thank you so much. Angelique Chingalitz with the uh, Detroit News. When we come back, Jamie and I will get you caught up on all the day's headlines, uh, including some uh, major political pains here in the state of Michigan. I'm loving these power chord carols. Yeah, if you weren't in the spirit, now you are. Yeah. Bring that on. Uh, We are in the Christmas spirit. We had a great holiday get-together with friends and clients yesterday at Startup Nation. Our thanks to Jeff Sloan and his team for hosting us there. Uh, Thanks to the boss for throwing a nice party for the new, the still somewhat new JR morning team. I thought Uh, it was a really nice party and sort of a coming out party. And we had a bunch of people there with a lot of different viewpoints. And I I just loved it. Yeah, we, we had some great discussions. You can find all of them at uh, thegreatvoice.com. Um, some uh, some headlines this morning. Uh, first of all, when it comes to uh, 30-year mortgages, they are falling. They're trending in the right direction. We knew they were above 7% for a while there. Uh, they are now down to 6.67%, a pretty dramatic improvement in a very short period of time. Uh, if you're an employer, this is going to be a, one of those, well, no bleep <laughs> guy, <laughs> Uh, you are in the second least competitive market for health care in the nation. Uh, according to a new report coming out from the American Medical Association, this is an annual report uh, that because uh, we are the second least competitive state because Blue Cross Blue Shield holds a two thirds market share over all types of health plans uh, in, in Battle Creek. They've got 75 percent. So it's even least competitive when you look at it by region. Uh, we should point out, though, that there was improvement. Blue Cross is pointing that out. And Priority Health, which was an up-and-coming provider in West Michigan, is now expanding into the Southeast Michigan market. That should uh, help improve things. They're connected with the Corwell Group. Competition. Always good. Yeah. Uh, we will find out later today what the unemployment rate is for the state of Michigan. Meantime, uh, a judge delivering a big blow to Michigan's redistricting. You remember all the excitement that instead of having a partisan, mm-hmm. the party in power redrawing the district boundaries and gerrymandering and do, doing all sorts of Regular stuff. Regular citizens yeah. are going to do it. And it was going to lead to a better outcome for everybody. Right. Well, according to a judge, it hasn't, especially if you are black and in the Wayne County, Detroit area, where they say 13 legislative seats, the boundaries must be drawn because they are unconstitutional. This is a 3-0 ruling, so this uh, was unanimous. Uh, This affects 6 of 38 Senate seats and uh, 7 of 110 House seats. So what they're saying is black voters were better off 
when Republicans were draw, were drawing up the boundaries to their benefit because they had more majority minority districts representation exactly where it was almost guaranteed that a, a black candidate was going to win that seat. Now we should point out this is unlikely to really change the very delicate um, split right now up in Lansing. It's fifty four fifty four in the House as we begin the new year. These are all Democratic districts. These seats that have to be redrawn are all currently held by Democrats. So will they really change the composition? Probably not. Probably not. But um, but we, you have to get the lines correct. I- exactly. And uh, by the way, if you want to serve on that uh, commission, there's a vacancy <laughs> uh, because uh, one of them moved to Illinois and, and didn't really bother to tell anybody. I do not want to serve on it. I've been asked. You were asked? Yeah, and, we and got these, both my husband and I got these things in the mail, and we just, you know, for I the w- baby, we have no time. For I that. watched some of these meetings. I can't think of a more thankless task. And the minutiae, and I've got to say, these folks Thank you to the people who did, who did serve. Yes. They tried their best. It was painstaking, and now they're being told by the judges, well, you got bad advice, is what it really comes down to. They're not saying that these folks did this we're with partisan, a partisan, yeah. thank goodness, that they held to the, the the principles that we sent them there to do. But they got some bad advice saying that, well, if you craft a majority Democrat district, black candidates will have just as good a chance as they would otherwise. Well, it turns out the white Democrats won those districts in many cases. And so you've got this underrepresentation, even though we've got Joe Tate, uh, who is a very the most powerful man right now in the House or at least was and. Until those Until two the Democrats people became won mayors, yeah. elections, yeah. And we should point out he and Matt Hall are having some pretty important discussions right now. You asked him when he was on our air about this, and he wasn't sure at the time. But it seems like they're they're going to reach across the aisle and do some sharing, which I think is what voters want. They want things to get done. Back in the nineties, when we had the same fifty four fifty four split, Paul Hilligan's Republican, Curtis Hertel, Democrat. They made a power-sharing arrangement back when, you know, they weren't trying to kill one another. Right. They had a power-sharing agreement and said, okay, um, when I hold the gavel as House Speaker, your guys will be, your people will be in control of the chairmanships of all the important committees from appropriations on down. Then a few months later, I'll give you the gavel and my folks will be there. And they had a very productive session because they were all forced to come to the middle. Well, if it could happen again, that would be great in this climate, especially. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. We we can only hope. Uh, it looks like we're going to have good weather for travel for the most part through the uh, holiday, which will be wonderful for those of us that are going to be on the road traveling to see loved ones. But got to say, there's no place colder right now in the state of Michigan than the Pistons when they're on the floor. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We last thought night last was... night was going to be it. Oh. I mean, it, it wasn't. But the Jazz were without eight players due to injury. Four of their top six star- scores not there. The Stars were in this alignment. This was the moment for it to happen. The Pistons started out strong. It looked like it was going to be the night, but then they fell 119-111. That historic losing streak now at 25, one short of the NBA's all-time single-season record of 26. Um, Kate Cunningham, again, he had 28 points, 7 rebounds, 10 assists, but there were a lot of turnovers last night, and that was their downfall. And uh, always, as always, a former Piston, Kelly Olynyk scored 27, 6 assists, 4 steals. So it's always someone that we know. And you say, why can't we get guys like that? <laughs> and right. Matt Stafford, who we still love, uh, cost us uh, a, a, an automatic playoff spot last night. If Had he uh, fallen to the Saints, uh, the, the Lions would have been in. They're still going to have to earn it, and that's not a bad thing. But he I had mean, a great game. 
He did. The Saints, I mean, not the Saints, the Rams have been on this little streak here. They're trying to get into the playoffs, and it could. we could be barreling toward a Matt Stafford versus the Lions playoff imagine? game. <laughs> not that our loyalties will be divided. We love Matt, but not when he's playing the Lions. No, and the Rams have won five of six, so they're heading in that direction. Real yeah. quick, I want to talk about this. Um, you can make iconic foods from classic Christmas movies. Did you know that? So, for instance, yeah, the Chinese roasted duck from A Christmas Story, okay, or the ice cream sundae from Home Alone. And if you, you can, you can have a, a leg lamp overseeing your your dining experience. Exactly, with the duck. exactly those kind of things. It's just fun. Twinkies from Die Hard. Uh, what else? An honorable mention: liverwurst sandwich from White Christmas. Uh, the I frappuccino from that. the holiday. Uh, Buddy's sugar-filled syrup top spaghetti from Elf. But this is, is from ABC News. But isn't it one of those things when you're watching, whether it's whatever, whether it's a Thanksgiving movie, Christmas movie, they're having the family feast. Aren't you famished by the time you're done with the movie? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it always looks so good. The Elf one doesn't seem that good, but I think it's fun if you want to try it. It's on ABC News. Iconic foods from classic Christmas movies. Here's how to make them. You know, I hadn't seen Home Alone in a long time, and it happened to be on the screen in a restaurant that we were in, and I was I was watching it. Of course, I should have been engaging my dinner companions, but it, it, when he goes out to buy dinner, and, oh, as the young kid, yeah. and he sits down with his mac and cheese and his milk. Yeah, in the first one, I, I know there's been a breakdown on how much inflation has done to the cost of his <laughs> meal now. But, yeah, there's just those moments. He uh, never takes a bite because the clock strikes nine and Marv and Harry are outside. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and iconic uh, role for Joe Pesci. When we come back, great things happening on the Detroit Riverfront. Uh, the uh, disclosure yesterday uh, that there is going to be a high-rise hotel coming to the Riverfront, and it's going to be adjacent to... Huntington Place, our convention center. What kind of promise does that hold? We'll be talking with one of those that broke the story next on JR Morning at 819. Well, there are so many exciting things happening come 2024 in Metro Detroit, and we just scratched the surface. we got the NFL draft coming. We've got to the, uh, the the Dan Gilbert's big skyscraper downtown. It's going to be so many things. Yeah, I mean, they're already leasing space there. We just see new restaurants and and things opening up all the time. It's an exciting time to be a Detroiter. And then yesterday comes word of something we've been needing, which is a big hotel. J.C. Rindle is business reporter for the Detroit News. He was scouring those little documents that get filed in obscure places <laughs> and discovered this exciting news. J.C., good morning. Uh, good morning. So tell us about, uh, this is a, a, one of those kind of arcane things where a developer has to file a note to go before the, con, the, the uh, Community Benefits Council, and we learned about a hotel that we didn't know was coming. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's some pretty big news that was there in this small notice. Um, it's going to be a 600-room, 25-story hotel attached to Huntington Place, the convention center. Um, it's going to be the second biggest hotel in downtown Detroit once it's built, second only to the Rents and Marriott. I mean, young journalists take note. This is how you find stories. You comb through different things. Um, is this a need that Detroit has? I mean, they got the draft without this massive hotel, but do you think it's needed with the final four coming in a couple, five years? 
Yeah, for, for years, the convention and, and visitors bureau folks have bemoaned the fact that Detroit, unlike some other cities, has lacked a hotel that's attached to the convention center. You know, even Cleveland has one. Um, other cities have thousands of rooms, and we've had zero. And so this is really a game changer. That's how they're describing it. You know, once we have 600 rooms attached to the convention center, and there's a lot of events, events out there that this could really unlock for Detroit that we could land. Um, well, it, so they mentioned the, I think, a draft. Um, well, that's that's coming, but some other ones in the future that we really were out of the running for, and now we could be possibilities. Well, because we've seen with, with like the NCAA Final Four, where you might have a school come and they want a hundred rooms, they want to be able to order a block so that Same everybody place. can stay together and and savor this experience in one place. I'm also I'm I'm going to be heading off to CES in a couple of weeks. Here we see there in Las Vegas where. You know, not only is the show at uh, at the convention center, but you've got exhibit rooms and hotels throughout the city that are also showcasing the very same product. So it allows you to have this kind of synergy between the hotels and the convention center. It essentially expands the footprint of your convention center. Indeed. You don't have to do a lot of walking or driving, um, which is really key for these events when you have a lot of -of out-of-town guests that don't know the city. Do you have any details further of when this hotel could start construction, be finalized? Yeah, there's still a lot of steps to go, um, but they're talking about construction perhaps starting in the second quarter of next year. And and some of the convention and visitor bureau, bureau folks have already mentioned this hotel and some big events that we've that we've landed, like the the 2027 NCAA Final Four, and they're expecting this to be open by then at at least. Um, so it's only a couple years away. You know, I remember when I came to town, there was nothing being built and nothing being built without a UDAG grant. Then came Mike Illich, then came Peter Carmanos, then came uh, Dan Gilbert. What's interesting here with your story, JC, is this is a totally different group. Gary Torgo, who, of course, was behind TCF Bank and Talmer Bank, um, is behind this. It's nice to see different developers with skin in the game. Indeed. And that, that same firm, the Sterling Group, is also developing a 25-story apartment tower that's going to be next to this new hotel. It's on the uh, Joe Louis Arena site, you know, also very close by to the convention center. So uh, they've become a pretty big player, um, bigger than they were just in the last couple of years. Do we know what kind of incentives they may be seeking from uh, different sources? Yeah, that's still a question mark. Um, you know, we found out about this, this hotel because it had, they had a post a notice for a community benefits ordinance. A meeting, and those are required once you have a, a big development that's going to require some some abatements or at least request some abatements. Uh, so we're not really sure the mix, um, but just about all new development in Detroit these days uh, because of the, the high taxes and, and the fact you want to build new, it requires some sort of abatement or incentive. So that's not not really that that exceptional, um, especially for a big one like this. Uh, if you're on the lodge, you can see the uh, luxury apartment going up where Joe Lewis used to be. I'm looking at a rendering that it would be between that and Huntington Place. So I'm wondering if the hotel or the apartment people are like, uh-oh, we lost some of our view or will eventually. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question since uh, they're going to be paying some pretty high rental rates, at least from what I've seen on the website so far for that. The new hotel there, or yeah. the, the new apartments once it opens up. We should point out the Sterling Group, Gary Torgo's group, and, and his kids are involved as well as their principal officers in it. They're developing the project simultaneously. I don't think they're going to cut their nose off to spite their face no. uh, with that. So I've got a, a I, I bet that that 
hotel is going to be set back just far enough that a lot of those eastward water views, yes, yeah. and those eastward looking views aren't going to be uh, obstructed in the new uh, apartments. You know what's exciting? It says that you need maybe a thousand more hotel rooms downtown. You can get an NBA All Star game. So here's a good start. Yeah, there's quite a few on the horizon too. We have you know new hotels coming up in the, the Hudson site. Um, there's some the the Fox Theater office building is going to be converted to a hotel and, and a possible hotel you know right next to Little Caesars Arena. Um, there's an empty spot there. So there's a lot of rooms on the horizon in addition to this one. Right. And, we, for, and, and that's in addition to the ex- – and you're covering this extensively in the free press, this explosion in residential units because we're not going to – you know, with, the, with hybrids and work from home, we're not going to need as many office spaces. Yeah, that's for sure. All right. JC, uh, thanks for your reporting and uh, doing doing that document dive. It's, yeah. it's just amazing the reporting. little things that you can find when uh, when doing that. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on your show. We uh, we appreciate it and have a wonderful new year. And you can read more about this in uh, in the Detroit Free Press. An exciting new. I mean, you talk about it. That means we're only four hundred rooms away from being able to host that NBA All-Star game, right, with the 600 yeah. new rooms? If, if the numbers are to be correct, yeah, if you got 600 in this massive upbringing. Plus, think about all the boutique hotels that have sprung up recently. I, I'm thinking of the Godfrey the over Godfrey, there off of Michigan Shinola. in Corktown. i got to tell you, one of the biggest miracles in my tenure here in Detroit is the resurrection of the book Cadillac. I mean, they had water in two of the three sub-basements. That place was flooded out. Um, it was a horrible eyesore and neglect, and it, it could have been another Hudson's. Uh, but the Virtual Group out of Cleveland came in and did amazing things there. And do you know, I mean, it's been 20 years now. They're already remodeling all those rooms. Yeah, I I love the book Cadillac. I'm glad it was saved. I'm glad that, fun fact, Ryan and I met at Roast for a blind date. Oh, Roast is no longer Roast. there, but they put a new restaurant in there. So there's some life getting you know back in there, too. Yeah, but there was something about going in and, and ordering cracklings and seeing that suckling pig on the spit. <laughs> there was, I mean, it was, I felt like Fred Flintstone, but it, it, that was for meat eaters. It was, a, it was a great Yeah, that location. was a great restaurant for and, many reasons. Yes, yeah, so many great memories at the book, both past and relatively present. We'll be back. If you are jumping behind the wheel and beginning your Christmas travels, safe travels, Merry Christmas, blessings to your family uh, in the new year. And uh, Absolutely. Boy, that our little get-together at Startup Nation sure got us in the spirit yesterday. Great uh, party. Little coming-out party for the morning show yeah. team. Great to see George Blaha. Uh, and I was wearing, he caught me wearing my green and white striped shirt. We looked like the Bobsy twins because George was wearing. It looks like you two called each other <laughs> and was, said, what are you wearing? It was almost a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And he and I shop at the same men's store. That's normally it looks like where it. I run into, run into to, uh, George's at the Claymore shop. Well, uh, we were thinking about the Spartans yesterday as they've come off a couple of nice wins, uh, first against Oakland and then Stony Brook. I love it when universities, uh, their names sound like a beer, <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm going to need a nice six pack of Stony Brook for the weekend. Yeah, sure. Or a nice little town in a fictional book. <laughs> there, yes. Let's welcome in Steve Courtney, our WJR sports analyst and the Michigan State men's head basketball coach, Tom Izzo. Gentlemen, Merry Christmas and good morning. Merry Christmas to you, Guy, Jamie, 
Good morning once again, everyone. As they say, Christmas is a magical time of year. That being said, uh, the Spartans starting to heat up from the perimeter. You go back to the win over then number six Baylor last Saturday. Sparty connecting on 63.3% of the shots from the floor. Meanwhile, last Monday night in the win over Coach Campy's Golden Grizzlies, 49.2% from the floor and also 42.9% from beyond the arc. Last night uh, at the beautiful Breslin Center, oh dear, uh, the Spartans taking care of business with that 99-55 win over the Seawolves of Stony Brook. And uh, it was, again, a nice perimeter night, uh, 59.4% from the field, while, I might add, allowing 12, count them 12, first-half points. Let's talk about it. Merry Christmas, Coach. How are you? Well, Guy, Jamie, and, of course, Steve, how are you guys? I'm, uh, you know, getting ready to do uh, something you don't do, Steve. I'm going to, you know, do some Christmas shopping now for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie and Guy, if, if Steve gets you something, it's usually two days after Christmas. Oh, he, he, he was inspiration for Dickens, no question about yeah. it, Coach. I'm a big fan of the clearance know. rack. What can I say? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Go uh, ahead. Pretty, uh, go ahead, Coach. No, I said you go ahead. you got to ask the questions. <laughs> I think one of the things uh, when you take a look at that pretty impressive victory over uh, Stony Brook last night, I, I think one of the things that brings a smile to your face, sir, uh, 33 assists on 38 made field goals. That, my friend, is sharing the rock. You know, that was an unbelievable stat. I think Mateen's team way back uh, at 36 in a game and, that's the record, and uh, I didn't realize, but that is a coach's dream. Uh, number one, the ball's got to go in the basket to get an assist, but when you are sharing it like we did and uh, very unselfish, our defense was phenomenal at least first two-thirds of the game, and, uh, you know, we still got some issues. You know, we're not rebounding the ball, uh, you know, quite as good. I'm hoping Santa brings that to somebody while they're home, and, um, <laughs> you know, uh, we uh, – you know, they, they got 16 offensive boards. I mean, you can always nitpick, but when you're 40 up, it's hard to stay focused. And I was surprised, you know, I, uh, I liked Oakland's team. I thought this team was, uh, you know, much in the same. And, and, you know, Oakland did not play well against us. Talk to Greg after, I mean, he's got a good team. He just, and uh, both said our defense was good enough that teams didn't make shots. And so then their game goes to hell, just like when we didn't make shots our games went there. So I can sympathize and appreciate that, but I also felt good that we got to leave, go home on a really good note with a lot of people playing better and uh, and just seeing the ball. Jay Nakins uh, had an unbelievable wow. night. And he was really good, and he's been really good in practice. And I think he's starting to get his feel back for scoring. And if that comes... Um, you know, we, we can control the defense. Sometimes you can't control whether the ball goes in the basket. But, Coach, about the shooting, it's way better the past few games, the three specifically. What's the difference? Well, Steve didn't tell you, but he came up two weeks ago and, and put on a little shooting clinic for <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, a little clinic. That's I'm, nice of you, you know, Steve. It was my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think, Jamie, all, all honesty, um, you know, I mean, it wasn't something – that uh, had to be uh, it had to be resurrected. It didn't have to be re 
redone. We've already done it. You know, we've shot well. We shot well last year. We shot well this summer. Why we had those six or seven games? You know, I sat there in the second half, said to my assistant Doug Wojcik, I go, "Where in the hell were these shots for a three-week <laughs> period?" You know, um, but I also, you know, told my team after that, uh, you know, one of the reasons you, you schedule tough and why you do things is is to get some lumps and understand, uh, you know, what it's like. It makes the the wins all the the better, and it makes success all the better, and you know, do I wish uh, we could have won a couple more in that stretch? Sure. But at the same time, I think we learned a lot. And maybe the biggest thing I learned last night happened the night before the game. All these upsets started. That was a Judd Heathcote rule that upsets come, the, the, you know, the last game before you leave for Christmas and the first game when you get back because kids' minds are in different places. Sure. And um, I, I called, I texted AJ the night before, and I said, you know, you get a chance to show your leadership. I mean, here's. And I listed the teams that have gotten upset, you know, UCLA by Kel Northridge, and, you know, the beat went on. And uh, he sent me a text back, I'll make sure they're ready. And, you know, other years I'm, I might not have slept well on that. This year I kind of did. <laughs> and, uh, we got off to a good start. and uh, So I give some of the leadership credit, too, that uh, those seniors are, uh, are bringing. Yeah, well, AJ, uh, 12 points last night, not to mention – 10 assists and just a couple of turnovers. Let me ask you this, uh, Tom, as we're celebrating the perimeter shooting after some struggles, uh, how much of that is just out-and-out confidence? I mean, I asked you back in the day when when it wasn't going that well, you know, if you could assimilate it to the yips uh, for golfers, and all of a sudden they have found the stroke, and so much of this game is confidence, isn't it? Well, it really is, Steve, and, uh, you know, you're, you're right on the money, but, you know, confidence is usually – um, earned by, you know, work. And then, uh, you know, I did think they worked hard enough in the summer to get it. But sometimes if things don't go your way, I mean, no matter how hard you work, you know, you, we're all human. And, uh, well, most of us, um, Steve. But, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where I, I did think we lacked some confidence, you know, and we got good shots that just didn't go in and, you know, that's why I kept saying they're going to go in, and uh, everybody was panicking. I mean, I'm still panicking. I mean, when you see the team we play right after, uh, you know, Indiana State is really good. I mean, they got five guys shooting about 40% from the three, and uh, they are a really good team. So we got our work cut out for us. But I'm going to worry about this interview a little shopping. I'm going to try to enjoy Christmas with my new granddaughter, and uh, and then the day after Christmas, worry about the grind of the next three months. <laughs> Do you have grandpa well, advice there, guy? Well, and Steve, you both are grandpas. Oh yeah. Well, other than the fact that it just doesn't get any better. Best job ever. Ever. As a matter yeah, of fact, you I'm know, I, at... I agree with you. I, as I. You know, I haven't gotten enough time to spend a lot of time, but I think I'll do that in the next two days. And uh, so that'll be fun. And, um, you know, and I think, uh, God, you know, when you look back, all the things that have been going on it's in this world, it's aye, kind aye, of aye. A, a for Christmas. Does, do you have your grandpa name yet? Uh, you know? No, I just hope it's not four letters. That's all. <laughs> well, my, mine is four letters. I'm Pops. Yeah. You're Pops. Pops. I'm Pops. And, uh, I hate to hear what uh, Steve is, uh, you know. Steve, but, what are uh, you? 
Uh, just the uh, good old-fashioned papa. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at uh, my four-month-old uh, granddaughter, Miss Malo, over there right now, surrounded by my family from Georgia, and uh, just looking very much forward to the holidays. And, uh, Coach, you've got a little bit of break uh, between the, the visit with the Indiana State Sycamores, the pride of Larry Bird, uh, December 30th, 2 o'clock at the Breslin Center. You, sir, and yours have a very Merry Christmas and certainly looking forward to the new year with you. Well, on a serious note, Steve and Guy and Jamie, I enjoy the Mondays and Fridays. I appreciate WJR over the years. And uh, I hope everybody in our great state and, of course, our country, but our great state, uh, you know, with the Lions winning, it's it's been fun. You know, it's been fun. I'm happy for them. It's been, you know, we had Barry Sanders' kid hit a shot last night, and Barry was a proud pup. I told him oh. after, I said, hey. <laughs> He did something you couldn't do. He, and I said, oh, you're athletic success. He says, what's that? I said, make a three. And he asked, he looked at me and said, oh, do you know I can't? I said, I'm just assuming <laughs> you football guys can't do that. I said, but that was a fun moment. Stephen gave him an assist, and it was uh, it was just something that was cool. So in the, the season of Christmas, we saw last night giving was as good as receiving, and uh, and uh, that was fun, too, with, uh, with Barry. He's such a good guy and his son might be even better so it's 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 a great way to end uh you know the yeah. pre-christmas now we got one more before the new year and uh, we'll have our hands full but after that uh, it's big 10 time and you guys have a great holiday with your families and i appreciate you all and uh, merry christmas to everybody that's listening uh well right, merry, merry christmas. christmas coach thanks gramps <laughs> See you guys. all right Papa. take care and papa you have a great merry christmas as well you too, Pops. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll chat soon. All right. Take care. By the way, and I'm on my list of things to do between the holidays, watching Bye Bye Barry. Uh, oh, you'll, yeah, I you'll love it. it. It's I some great old yet. video of, you'll just get chills all over again. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back to uh, wrap things up. The Friday edition, JR Morning, just ahead. So more evidence that our inflation is cooling and getting closer to that 2% Fed target. The the price index that the Fed watches most closely just came out uh, at 8.30. It's called the PCE, Personal Consumption Expenditures. We are not just seeing prices increasing at a slower rate. In November, the PCE actually fell. Prices actually fell. This is even excluding energy and food. Um, just 0.1%, but it's the first time we've seen a price drop since 2020. Heading in the right direction. Heading in the right direction. Uh, Good news as we head into the new year. We started to see some retrenchment on on 30-year mortgage rates have fallen now. It's about six and two-thirds percent. Uh, That's down from 7%. We will take all of it as all of us try to make our our dollars stretch a little farther. Also, the unemployment rate here in the state of commission, a state of commission, state of Michigan. I'm out of commission. We're <laughs> in, in the state of Michigan. nine minutes. Yeah. Uh, it rose uh, just a, a, a two-tenths of a percentage point to 4.3%. We're still slightly above the national average, uh, about 6 percentage, uh, 0.6% above the national average at 3.7%, which is kind of a historic low. Our, our misery index as low as it has been since the pandemic. I wish my weight were going, we're trending. We're what trying, is your personal my, misery my, index? Yeah, my personal misery index when I get on the scale of 
you know, holidays are so hard. Oh, my. Every night there's something uh, um, to go to with delicious food. Yeah. One of our favorite people showed up with her Christmas cookies the other day, and I've, I've just not been able. And my mom, she she informed us she will not be bringing her, her special Chex Mix, which, you know, that's the, my real that's downfall. So it's the good. savory, yeah. got a little garlic in there. It's uh, salty. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's tremendous. Uh, come the new year, I'm sure that this is something we'll attack uh, full throttle. Resolutions, they're coming for everybody, including me. I'm heading back to the gym. Right, because yes. we all want to be younger or at least feel younger. Well, my question to you is, you know how old you are in number, but do you know what your biological age is? Yeah, that depends on, uh, depends on whether I'm going upstairs, uh, <laughs> whether I'm trying to run more than half a block. Well, scientists are working to quantify this phenomenon, your cellular health instead of how many years you've been alive. So researchers define biological age as the accumulation of damage we can measure in our body. And there are tests you can get to figure that out. So over the course of our lives, the DNA accumulates molecular changes that turn on and off various genes. So this happens naturally, obviously, as we age, but they can be sped up by behaviors like smoking, alcohol consumption, etc. So what you're saying is avoid those things that make your, your personal odometer spin faster. Exactly. And so this is an article from the New York Times. There are companies that will sell tests to you for about 300 bucks blood or saliva comparing changes, you know, inside your body to figure out what your biological age is. So it's kind of interesting. Scientists are saying maybe don't waste your money because what do you do with that information? There's no way to turn back the clock. You can make choices to slow it down. There is, though. I mean, there are things that act as inflammatories, you know, processed sugar. You will feel better. Your joints will feel better if you wean yourself and reduce that. Salt. Same thing, salt. Well, that's that's my downfall. The other thing is, is just drinking. It's so simple. Drinking more water. I know. Because Everyone has s- these Stanley cups everywhere. Just think, <laughs> the, the, w- w- people mark your age by your face and wrinkles and puffiness and things like that. Alcohol makes your face puffier. You're you're not going to look as refreshed in the morning. B12 helps with that. Well, but- that's also what goes down in January. People do dry January. Some people. Well, it, it was interesting. I got a list of things. I, I visited the dermatologist the other day to do the normal check for, you know, melanoma and things like that. And I had a couple of complaints. And he said, well, here's the list of, list of things that, that caused that. Uh, number one was caffeine. Oh, yeah, right. Like on this shift, I've got to cut oh back God. on Every that. Every day. Number two was alcohol. Number three, the biggest downfall for me, spicy foods. It mm. can cause inflammation, which can lead to breakouts uh, on your face. Well, and so I, I mean, like all those things. I, yeah, I just I it's, I know. Well, anyway, there are tests out there if you want to know if you're the same age inside as you are outside. Yeah, well, but you know the, the the one thing that you can't quantify with with that test from the neck up, how you approach life, whether you embrace things with curiosity, whether you think young. Mm-hmm. Whether you embrace you change, happiness. I'm sure Dr. Steve Craig is is right now saying, you know, that would be it's your attitude which may determine more than anything that yeah biological and sometimes age. attitude can affect if you're ill, getting you out of that illness. No question in stress. 
yeah. Stress is the biggest killer out there. And the man that we stress out on a daily basis just opened his uh, mic. <laughs> well, I, we just have a couple of minutes left. I was thinking we're not going to see each other for a while. Do you think the Pistons will win a game before we see each other in the new year? Oh, I hope so, but I'm not. Come on, I'm yes. I'm hopeful. Right? January 10th, they have the Spurs. That's the next chance. Okay. That's Jason what is, I pulled up, the schedule. So, so the answer is no, and maybe we'll ha- we have to wait 10 years into the new year. They have two games with Brooklyn, one at Boston, Toronto, and Houston before we see each other. And those are all good teams. <laughs> so I think your answer, Nick, is no. Probably um, not, no. <laughs> more importantly. That would be a 30-game losing streak. By the time we see one another on the 2nd of January, will we have uh, the, the University of Michigan moving on to a, yeah. another playoff game? Yeah. I got a great feeling. I'm going to be positive. I, I hope so for my Michigan fear the Crimson Tide, but I... I hope so for my Michigan friends. Some are making the trip out there, and... Yeah. I and will just, the Lions have clinched a playoff spot? Yes. Mark that. That's a done deal. Yeah. They're going to go into into the Viking house and they're going to take them down. Yeah, that's happening. Uh, that's uh, that's so. We got a lot to look forward to. You're going to be enjoying the second Christmas with your baby. Yes, I cannot who, wait. You know, she it, now can look at Santa and say Santa. So we're starting to get into a really fun time, and I'm so grateful for her. When my baby girl was that age, she was Ewell Gibbons. She was eating the Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was like no grape nuts needed in this house. We just have no ornaments about three feet and down. I know. It's yeah. it's, it's an awkwardly decorated yeah. tree. Well, we hope that, uh, that the holiday season, whatever you are celebrating, treats you well, that it's pleasant, peaceful, and is full of wonderful memories with your family and your friends. Happy New Year and Merry Christmas.